and welcome back to Dollars and Dragons. Today I have with me Kelly DeWint, if you'd like to introduce yourself to our audience. Like Friday said, I'm Kelly DeWint. Pronouns are she, her. I am the CEO of Tabletop Town, a mobile platform to play tabletop role-playing games, both remotely and asynchronously. Before we get to Tabletop Town and uh, Little Book Studio, I'm curious how you got your um, start in just business in general. I see behind you. Mm -hmm. You've got like for the the listeners, we've got like ninety thousand books behind Kelly right now. <laughs> I I suppose at one point one of those was a business book. Um, how did you get started? So my background is in creative writing. I actually came up. I have an undergrad in poetry, oddly enough. Um, so I come from a very poetry. kind of traditional, yeah, poetry major and like fiction, but poetry. It's not really a surprise. I tend to play bards. I came up through copywriting, through marketing. I did stuff both for myself and then also for um, some like small private businesses. And then I went up through marketing and then I came on to Tabletop Town originally as head writer. And we needed someone to write all the copy for the app, not just like marketing, but then also all the tutorials, all everything on the website, uh, blogs, and then also I basically took the core rule set of D&D when we were originally going to launch with just D&D, took the core rule set and put like my own voice on the entire thing and did the entire thing. And then we realized, oh, we're becoming a company. And I had the most background in business, not kind of through my normal nine to five job, but I had a pretty st strong background in investment and startups and startup culture. Uh, I was the one most interested in doing it and going out and talking to people and getting investors. And I, we, when we incorporated, I came on as CEO. And so I have the oh so common and usual career path, you know, of poet to CEO, which I'm sure is the totally normal <laughs> attainable thing everyone aims for. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's really interesting. I, I grew up writing a lot of poetry myself. Um, I was, I guess, that, that kid in uh, school that instead of paying attention to class or whatever, I was normally reading. I was like in the back uh -huh. and I, yeah, I was, I was normally that kid as well. Um, I don't know if that was you, but like that, that's. Oh yeah. If you couldn't tell by the giant wall of books behind me. <laughs> yes, that was me. A hundred, hundred thousand percent. Um, I always had about three books going as a kid. Actually, my most common punishment was actually taking books away. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that was more than anything. Because sending to your room I, when you're a reader, like, you know, I'm like, oh, no, that's where the books are. So instead, I had access to books taken away. Yeah, I got in trouble a lot as a teenager for whatever. I grew up in like a restrictive home. I got in trouble a lot, mostly for grades and because I just wasn't paying attention most of the time. And I was just kind of cruising on uh, being the gifted kid for most of my high school academic career and like before I'm that. familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember uh, getting in trouble for like over the course of a summer. And I was just, uh, this was before like we had like regular access to the internet. Um, so we were still on dial up. So my parents always knew when I was going on the internet. So like whenever I was, um, I would get grounded from the internet, but I would still have like Microsoft Word to write with. So I, um, my brother started complaining to my parents that um, it wasn't really a punishment for me to be grounded with no internet because I could still like write. <laughs> and uh, I remember my mom saying to him, "Is like, yeah, well, if you wanna, if you wanna write, uh, you know, while you're grounded, that's fine. You know, it's not really, <laughs> yeah. a, you're not gonna stop, you know, my kid yeah. from writing. But anyway, I I found I have a notebook that I wrote my first novel in. I was 11, um, uh -huh. and I hand wrote it out. It is 
I mean, it's not good. I was 11, but I right. still have the entire thing just handwritten, just pages and pages and pages. And I, you know, invented my own like time system. Like I, I didn't use like hours. I had like phases of the sun and then I didn't, I did all this stuff. And it's also very clearly like a direct ripoff of all of my favorite books at the time, plus X-Men. Yeah. Um, so it's like a chosen one teenage girl fantasy, but then everyone has like a superpower and their eyes go like completely opaque, like Storm. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also they ride Unipegs, Unicorn uh -huh. Pegasus, um, instead of because I was reading a lot of Anne McCaffrey at the time. And so instead of dragons, right. they rode Unipegs. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's such a teenage, you know, I guess I have to now share my cringe uh, first novel. Um, so <laughs> I, I um, so when I was uh, young, I was reading a lot of like Battletech books and um, also like Wheel of Time. And mine was mm -hmm. like a smash up between like those two uh, inspirations and then also uh, Suikoden uh, on PS1. <laughs> um the uh, -huh. uh the rpg with 108 stars of destiny but anyway um so yeah that was i remember getting a i was accused of like plagiarism not because i like took whole cloth from like all these different things but like i was clearly using references to like these other source books that i just in my mind because it was like the first thing i was writing i was just like you know when i use some of these like terms or whatever you know it just makes sense for me because it's my perspective but long before I learned about like exposition and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I remember turning in when I was in eighth grade, um, coming back to my seventh grade English teacher uh, and turning into him like a hundred, I had like written like a hundred thousand word novel and it was atrocious, um, which also at the time, you know, I, you know, the, the further back into my life that I look and I like wonder like, you know, what was the, at what point were there like indications that I was trans? But for this part of my life it was like <laughs> really boring static masculine main character that was sort of written to be like uh nobody and then literally every other character was femme in every single one of my <laughs> uh books that uh -huh. are stories that i wrote so wow what a trip yeah any anyway like like looking back on a lot of uh those times in my life especially um being trans like where i use like writing is like a gateway to me exploring mm -hmm. feminine femininity um i think i think about that a lot because um i wonder how much of that sort of got whirled away and um if i had just been in sort of a different environment or in an environment where i knew that trans people existed then i probably would have found out a lot sooner um, yeah. but nobody knew who trans people were except for like of course the the really bad tropes and stereotypes of like yeah um you know tra trans people being like uh, perverted sex workers or whatever so yeah, I I was very lucky in that my mom spent a lot of time that I did not realize at the time. And I realized as an adult looking back how much time she must have spent, you know, pre-internet doing this, of finding feminist fantasy literature wow. to, to drop in front of me. Um, and specifically a lot of authors with very wildly different examples of femininity. You know, mm -hmm. I like came up during the like 90s girl power movement where there was some kind of really gross toxic backlash against anything feminine. And I was already a tomboy. And so adding that in wasn't, could have been a really bad mix. Um, and I think my mom, I mean, I was raised kind of on a diet of like 
Heinlein, Christie, like Louisa May Alcott, and then like intense feminist fantasy literature, like fiction. Um, gotcha. Kind of an interesting mix. Um, but Tamara Pierce specifically has like 98% of her main characters are girls of all different kinds of girls. And they go mm-hmm. through, and it was mm-hmm. the first time I'd read about girls in like situations like that. And what I really like now is also like she has her characters like across the spectrum and a wide things. And one of the things I like is also they all have a very different relationship to their own gender and to their own sexuality but like her characters they like ride horses all the time and then they hit puberty and then they have to be like okay ow how am I gonna do this and that, like reading that as an 11 year old I was like oh <laughs> there's so much that's happening and like everything is changing it's a weird time in anyone's life and so I, I mean I don't have that same like understanding of like looking back and be like okay this is like my relationship to trans but like looking back at what I wrote and what I read suddenly so much of like my own relationship to femininity is explained because mm-hmm. yeah I only wrote girl my main characters even the boys in my stories looking back are basically just girls um because I didn't know how to write boys at all <laughs> yeah and I look back and I'm like okay sure yep why not <laughs> yeah yeah, and, and a lot of that, I mean, like, I, I don't know if I've talked about this in public before, but I think a lot of, like, the uh, trans experience also is, like, looking at, uh, like, for in my case, in my perspective, like, looking at women when I was growing up and not being able to tell, like, who I was attracted to and who I was just envious of, and I didn't understand what it was mm-hmm. when I was that age either, because, I mean, looking back on it now, I guess I have a better indication of that or a better understanding of it, but... um there was a lot of women that I thought I was just attracted to, but I was really just envious of um, as far as like, you know, what they look like and like um, their, I guess, just everything about like their life. I was very envious of. Um, the, the true queer femme experience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can even think of like, this is wild because I'm like, I'm like 35 now. So 17 years ago when I was 17 or 18. Um, I mean, I can I can think of some of these uh, young women that I was like, that I really admired, like even today, and it's wild, like, I don't remember a lot of stuff, but I remember those women, um, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, it's like burned into my memory. There's anyway, some... um, yeah, no, <laughs> go, go for it. No, I'm just gonna it. shift us back to marketing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, that's yeah. where we started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We started in marketing. And then we ended up in, yeah. But anyway, um, so marketing, um, let's talk about what was your experience like doing marketing? Was it uh, was it mostly do you have like experience in uh, paper clicks or was it all copywriting and advertisement? What was your initial skill set? So my very, very first initial skill set um, was all copywriting um, was and also like PR as marketing, I guess. I originally, my very first marketing job, I think kind of like traditional marketing job was for a like large format sign shop. And uh, I was technically the marketing person, although I did everything. It was a very small shop. So um, a lot of that was copywriting was like small ad campaigns, but also just going out, talking to people, being the face of the shop, um, going out, meeting people, you know, playing nice, being charming, talking, that kind of thing. And uh, then I I became a copywriter for a private um, and custom jewelry designer. And that was very much more uh, all sorts of different copywriting. So not like blogs and stuff like that. And then also ads and um, trying to design, uh, to describe 
diamonds can be difficult after you've described diamonds that many times. So getting creative and being like, okay, not sparkling. Okay. What's okay. Not gleaming. Okay. Not the, okay. And going through. Um, but yeah, it was much more on the the copy side. So for Tabletop Town, you know, I came in as just writer and originally I was doing everything and we now have a separate head of community who handles uh, some of the more traditionally marketing aspects. Um, If you check out our socials, Tabletop Town app, um, she is all across those. Um, Her name is Blair. She's awesome. And her background is a stand-up comedian. And so we have uh, some very fun uh, socials, specifically our Instagram and TikTok are uh, a little chaotic in the best possible way. Um, But so we kind of split up marketing between the two of us where she handles a lot of the um, like the building ad campaigns and the socials and stuff like that and the like chaotic face of the company side. And then I'm doing the kind of more traditional PR stuff, the more professional quote unquote face of the company, as well as I'm the one that goes to cons and talks to people and kind of spreads out what we're doing and tells people about what we're doing and um, handles all of the like corporate marketing side. I'm the one that talks to investors. You know, that's mainly my job um, is going out and raising funding and stuff like that. Um, and I think this has kind of wandered from your original question, but it has back to, circling back to it. So my my background always first and foremost is writing, is storytelling of any kind, whether that's a fictional story or that is the story of a company, the story of a product. That's where my background is. Um, and then I picked up feel sets for the rest of marketing um, and the kind of like building ad campaigns and like pay-per-clicks and like we're going to be doing probably a bunch more of like sponsored content and like press kits and stuff like that um, through just experience as I went um, and kind of everything coming up and trying to explain marketing in the TTRPG realm to like traditional VC investors is wild because they're like, okay, well, so you're going to run a normal ad campaign. And I'm like, no, because that's not work. No, it it will specifically antagonistically not work. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. traditional marketing in this field is interesting. Um, and so that's why we're looking. You know, this is a personality driven like industry, and so that's why we're looking more at um like n- more non traditional, if that's even the right word anymore, because. I think it just, at this point, I mean, marketing that was designed after social media. New media, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think so, that's the term, right? New media? New media? Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I think you are right, but my brain just kind of blinked on it. But um, like, that's much more where we're focusing. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't have tons and tons of experience in that, but that's why we hired a marketing person. <laughs> yeah. Um, why, so then not to ask you, um, you know, how does the new media strategy work? Cause now I'm curious to ask you the question, why doesn't a traditional strategy work with tabletop and could we break that down just for people like a lay person listening to this? So I think when you think of like traditional marketing campaign, if you, I mean, if you go like way back, it's like paid ads of like physical paid ads. And then I think today traditional marketing campaigns are like email newsletters and blasts and like Google ads and stuff like that. The problem is that our market specifically is like Gen X, Millennials, Gen Z. All of us, I think, speaking very generally, I'm a millennial, but I think there is kind of a pushback For those of us that grew up on computers and online and just were burned so many times by by kind of like corporate marketing, by corporate promises that I know like I kind of actively don't engage with Google ads. And 
I, I know that can like sometimes happen and like more traditional marketing content doesn't find me. I don't read email newsletters a lot of the time unless I'm actively already engaged with the company. That's not how I find new things. That's not how I read new things. The way that, and especially in a, the core audience of TTRPGs has long been people who are looking for escape of some, because it's their escape is games. They're they're, way, they're games where you can be anyone you want to be. And I think with that as its heart, you have, it's an audience that has also been burned a lot of times and looking at kind of the recent everything with the OGL as well, like it, it's kind of been proved again and again and again when outside giant corporations come in, they don't understand the space. They make some missteps that, you know, people just, it, it's hard to trust that anymore. And so like I found, I came into the world kind of sideways and came in through critical role and then the adventure zone and then came into it and I think that's how a lot of people are finding it these days and getting into the games and like finding new games in particular is all personality mm -hmm. it's saying okay who are the influ like the influencers that are producing content like what are the ones they recommend you know in the wake of the OGL there were so many like here are all these indie like TTRPGs you should try here lists and lists of this it's Instagram sponsored content it is uh like videos you see something funny on like someone's like let's play like or actual play you go through and you see like all of these different things and so I think that person like personality driven content like that can be hard then also to get in like a foot in the door when you're making a brand for yourself because it's personality driven and no one knows our personality yet so yeah. we're coming in yeah and so that's been kind of our thing is like establishing who we are as a like corporation in heavy quotes there, but establishing like who we are as a brand, establishing what we're going to look like and like what our values are. Because I also think like Gen X, millennial, Gen Z, there's a lot of emphasis placed on corporate values. You know, how are people responding? Um, I know that like in compared to like older generations, we do a lot more research on companies before we're willing to like commit to them. But then once we do, we have like a lot more brand loyalty um, so long as they hold to those same values that we were kind of promised. It's like coming in. So then establishing who we are, establishing like our loyalty, like our values and what we're going to do. And then also saying, okay, talking to people who are already in this space and being like, I hope, please like help vouch for us. This is who we are. This is what we're doing. Um, tell other people about it. Um, you know, I read a really, or I heard an interesting thing the other day that was saying that traditional PR used to be talking to the elite few who would then spread the word to the masses. But now everyone talks to everyone. So PR is just like a consistent narrative of who you are and what you're doing spread to everyone who is also going to tell it to everyone. Right. Yeah. Um, the amount of, I guess, and this is something that I guess I deal with as a small business owner, but like dealing with the amount of, what am I trying to say here? Um, it can feel sometimes like, especially on socials or whenever you put out something new, there's sort of a tightrope that you're generally walking. And then like, if someone like, just let's say a rumor, a negative rumor about either your company or you, if you're a single person LLC like me, um, they can really negatively affect you. Um, in a mm -hmm. way that um, a traditional, like, you know, uh, 1980s American corporation, like, would just not care about and still doesn't care about to this day. Like, um, so it's, it is interesting being in the new media space, I think, um, because people are really are driven by people's stories more than anything mm -hmm. else. And this is something that I talked to uh, one of my mentors, Devin Nasha, a lot about 
Um, but it is something that we were talking about, like we're in like a business cohort. People were asking like, you know, should I start like a company, um, a, a company like social thing and presentation and channel mm-hmm. uh, for YouTube or should I start like my personality channel? And he was like, hands down, his personality channel every single time because that's who people like to connect with as a person. Even for me and like making decisions about my company, um, I don't really want my company to be called Is Friday Productions. And I actually don't have that anywhere except for like my PayPal when people mm-hmm. like receive when I pay my uh, contributors. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually that's what it's going to probably be because like that's the brand, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, <laughs> is my face. So, um, you know, I just have to deal with that, I guess. Um, but I wanted to talk about, uh, so the founding of Little Book Studio um, mm-hmm. and like, why did you choose the C-Corp and uh, your additional provisions? Can you talk about the nerd shit of your business yeah. real quick? I, I definitely, definitely can. So when we um, realized, when we went from being like a group of friends who were building an app to, okay, we're going to make this an actual company. We want to do this for a living. Um, we thought, okay, we need to form an actual business. Like what's that going to look like? We had a lot of interest in forming a workaround co-op, but we needed outside investment uh, to get this going. And traditional investors, if you want traditional investment, you basically have to be a Delaware C-Corp. If you're not going to be a Delaware C-Corp, it is a lot, a lot harder. You can kind of do it as an LLC, unless you're doing a nonprofit, like a 501. Um, You have to justify why you're not a Delaware C-Corp if you're not one. And a lot of getting investment, especially getting early investment, is giving people no excuse to blow you off. Nothing that stops them, nothing that confuses them, no red flags as or as few red flags as possible. And not being a Delaware C-Corp is a red flag. And so mm-hmm. we thought, okay, we need to be a Delaware C-Corp, but... Um, a lot of us have been burned by previous corporations and previous jobs. And so we were trying to put as many things in place as possible to not do that. So we were for a long time talking about Tabletop Town is a Delaware C Corp. Little Book Studio, which is the group of us that are building Tabletop Town, originally was going to be a full, just traditional worker-owned co-op that owned the majority rights to Tabletop Town and then any future projects we did. Setting that up legally is so hard because of tax implications. Uh, If you have a worker-owned co-op and a Delaware C Corp and it like own, you have majority shares, you basically were getting, we were getting taxed twice. Mm -hmm. And so we worked with our lawyers and also worked with like our normal lawyers and then also like specific worker-owned co-op lawyers and came up with the kind of best solution, which is Tabletop Town is our company. It's a Delaware C Corp. And then um, all employees of Tabletop Town are members of like the group Little Book Studio that has the rights. And then we built in um provisos into our employee like rights and into our investor documents and into the like actual documentation of tabletop town so that we have everything like we have voting right every employee has a single vote so a lot of we're setting up um agreements now for like what requires what amount of percentage of agreement of the company so you know uh what's simple majority, what's two thirds, et cetera, et cetera. Setting that up. We also have um, like veto rights and stuff like that. And so we have like different types of equity, depending if you have voter right equity, you, you asked to get into the nerd shit about like the company. Here no, we go. I love this. So I love we this. have like you have voting equity, um, which is basically each one, everyone has one vote. Um, and then you also have 
different equity for like who owns percentage of the company, um, according to like investing and agreement, like employee contracts and stuff like that. Um, and so we were trying to get as many things about a worker-owned co-op and to have that same, um, not just democracy, but like consent-informed decision-making as possible. Um, not just as like company policy, but built into the documentation itself so that we were protected and always had that. And so then as in the future, as we go on and do um, potentially and hopefully like more projects down the line with the same group of Little Book Studio members that's not Tabletop Town, we will have those that documentation already in place and that documentation will be put into future projects down the road. Now, if Tabletop Town does very well and we are able to fund our own projects later down the line, that might be an entire worker-owned co-op. That might be a whole thing because we won't have to worry about outside investment. Therefore, we don't have to be a Delaware C Corp. But right now, we are a very fancy, specialty, like specialized, worded, super, not super complicated, but like kind of complicated Delaware C Corp. <laughs> got it. So I just got done watching all four seasons of Succession. So like, <laughs> and how much like success, I'm just kidding. So your board meetings are a little bit different, right? So it's... um. For, for you all, how many uh, people are in both uh, groups? So there are 10 of us total. Okay, um, 10, okay. Every, yeah, everyone who is currently a member of, so everyone in Tabletop Town is also a member of Little Book Studio. Um, that may change down the line, but especially right now, because we're all getting started right off the base, right off, yeah, we're like all getting started founding this and designing and building it. Everyone is a member of, t of Little Book Studio. Gotcha, cool. Yeah. Um, Cool, cool, cool. All right. Are you a um a remote company or are you a in-person company? Fully remote. Um, Fully remote? We, okay. Yeah. So I'm on the West Coast. We've got two different groups of people on the West Coast and a group of people on the East Coast. Um, so fully remote. We are also, I mean, we're not just, like I, I mentioned that we've kind of been burned by corporations before. Um, and we are also kind of majority, the majority of us are um, female or non-binary and or neurodivergent, some combination of the three. And we tried to set up while still kind of working and doing what we're doing and like getting everything done. We tried to set up as like looking at all the trappings of traditional corporate life in America and say, okay, what is useful and what's not? So we are fully remote. Um, we have a 32 hour work week. Um, so for the majority of us, that means no working on Fridays. But also um, we have like hours when meetings can be scheduled, but outside of that, you work on your own time, get your stuff done. Um, other than that, that's up to you. I uh, have undiagnosed, but I have ADHD and I work best at, in sprints at very weird hours. Um, so although I am fully available and have meetings and do get all my stuff done. I also work until 2 a.m. a lot of nights um, and get all like stuff done in like a very intense, hyper-focused sprint, like late, late at night by myself on the couch. Um, well, with my dog bothering me, but basically by myself on the couch. Um, yeah. And so we have kind of all of that. So we, yeah, we work, all of us work different hours, uh, except then we have like agreed as a company what, what time meetings could be scheduled during. And as for remote... So though we don't have like monitoring software or anything like that. Um, we have, uh, we, we've tried a few different like video con conference apps and stuff like that. And we ended up on, on one called around, but then also everything is organized in notion. And, um, one of like the team members, a big part of their job initially coming on was just reorganizing all of our notion. And it is the most helpful thing 
it's like if if we didn't have that working remote would be so much so much harder but uh yeah so i most of us have never met in person um we had we were in um an incubator when we were first getting started and my coo and i met in person for the very first time in the airport and we both had a moment where we thought the other person was a significantly different height <laughs> and he was like, because oh, I think we established it for a brief second right before, but we both thought the other person, he thought I was a lot taller and I thought he was shorter than he is. Yeah, and yeah. so we both looked and we were like, oh, um, which is like just stuff you don't think about when, you know, you, I like have meetings with him almost every single day, but I just see him on a computer screen and then it was like, okay, this is wild. Um, yeah. How long have y'all, uh, when did you get founded? So we've been incorporated since September. Um, okay. We, however, I've been working um, since I think July 2021. And it is... Yeah. Um, people have come on at different times um, because, you know, we've been going um, through doing stuff. I'm like trying to see if I can find when no people, worries. when I started, because I don't remember. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. I think um, July of 2020 or fall, maybe early fall of 2021. Um, okay. But it originally started with, so our COO and our CTO are childhood best friends. Mm -hmm. And one of them's a developer, one's a UX UI designer. And they started doing this as a way to just kind of like hang out, build this as the like first initial like version and gem of an idea was that. And they just kind of, that was several years ago. Um, and they worked on it, you know, on their like weekends and stuff like that. And then my, actually my roommate and I came on and she's a graphic designer. She came on as graphic designer and I came on as writer because they were like friends of a friend. We kind of went, okay, well, this is like really fun. We're doing this. And it was the four of us for a little bit. And then um, CTO, his wife came on, she was an illustrator and we were kind of just like half joking, half messing around. And then suddenly there were a couple more engineers in the project. And we were like, wait, this is becoming a thing. Do people want to do this? Like, is this something we all want to commit to? Is this something we have time to commit to? And then kind of abruptly, we got into this incubator and then it was like, oh, we're incorporated. Oh, we're a business, like we're a company now. Oh, people are going, like we have investment. Oh, people are going on payroll. Oh, this is my full-time job. Yeah. And all of that just happened in a very short span of time. Yeah. How long were you, um, you would say that you were probably... Did you say like nine to 12 months where you were working prior to getting actually incorporated and like it was like a hobby at that point to try and get this oh, off the ground? Yeah. So we were, I was working for just over 12, uh, for a bit over 12 months before we were incorporated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was fully just like a side fun project. And at, front, at first also, I was only, I say I was only the writer. Um, the amount of, you know, I wrote a bunch of stuff, but um, like that's what I was doing. And so at the time, like I am the forever DM, I was at the time I was only DMing one campaign a week, but, um, I was already kind of immersed in this world anyway. And so like writing the, like planning the next session versus like writing the tutorial for this, like writing a little mini interactive adventure, they felt like the same thing. It was yeah. all just a hobby. And my yeah. job was already full-time remote anyway. So, mm -hmm. um, the job I was doing, so I could do it anyway. And then, yeah, then it was like, we had to decide very quickly, is this going to stay a hobby or are we going to make a go of this? Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty wild. I um, I wasn't really sure about whether or not I started out as just a, a 1099 contractor um, mm -hmm. in my business. Like, uh, for instance, like uh, start playing games like um, 
they let you basically they just host your game so you can um you know advertise and get people because they they bring people to their marketplace the marketplace has a list of the games and then that's how i uh started besides doing like content management for someone on the side as my part-time from there like i incorporated i think like three i filed the paperwork i think uh three months after once i went to full-time um mm-hmm. i was like three months part-time running games as a pro but um yeah it was i don't know there was that initial like now i officially have this piece of paper like this <laughs> yeah. wow look at this piece of paper i am a real businesswoman <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh, how do you yeah. go ahead? No, it's it's just a weird feeling. Of the like, I I didn't even sign some documents. They're online. Like, they're I didn't physically sign them because they're on my computer. You know, I clicked yeah. a few times, and now we're a company. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> I also did not fill out my own LLC paperwork. I just paid someone because I was like, I could figure this process out, or I could pay someone one hundred and fifty dollars uh-huh. and go back to what I was doing. <laughs> so yeah. I chose the latter. Oh, yeah. I mean, that. yeah, we we filed through a company and then we eventually got uh, our own team of lawyers and then they went and redid it all Um, because that's what you do when you get lawyers is they just redo it. Um, But very handily, our our lawyers came through one of uh, our advisory board members. And so they already have a background in TTRPGs. And so when the OGL fiasco went down, I got an email from my lawyer before I even emailed him and he was like, Hey, I already know about it. I'm on it. I'm figuring out what this means for you. And I was so grateful. I didn't have to set up and like explain the history of the OGL to a lawyer. It, what <laughs> did, are you allowed to talk about what it changed for you? If yeah. Anything? Um, oh, it, I can definitely talk about this. This was actually really interesting. So our initial plan was to launch with D and D um, with the, just like the SRD like rule set of D and D um, for People who may not know exactly what all of these acronyms are, because I'm just dropping them like crazy. So the open gaming license, or I mean, do we, are people going to know about the whole thing? Or do you want like um, a quick, quick Yeah, just breakdown? a quick, just a quick, like okay. two senses. I'm sure most people who listen um, to this are. I'm sure, I'm sure most people know. I have broken this down for a bunch of investors. So I have like a pretty quick thing. So the open gaming license, um, was owned by Wizards of the Coast who owned D&D and Wizards of the Coast in turn owned by Hasbro. For decades, it meant that the core rule set of D&D and most TTRPGs in general was available for free use. Hasbro changed that or tried to change that in December um, and it did not go over well with the public and then they made a series of wild PR decisions that went over even more poorly with the public and eventually rescinded all of that. So uh, we were originally going to use the core rule set of D&D and launch with that with the proviso that we were going to add more games and more rule sets in the future. That was our original plan. When everything with the OGL happened, I had so many meetings and basically as a company within a week, we'd entirely pivoted and said, okay, we're going to prioritize system agnostic capabilities. Um, we need to launch with the capability to not just play D&D, but to play any TTRPG possible. That does mean our map system got delayed. So we are not launching with a full battle map system that is coming down the road. Full functionality is planned. Um, it's going to be really, really cool. It's going to be really, really pretty, but we could do one or the other. Um, and it was more important after everything to make sure that there was flexibility and the capability for non-reliance on a specific corporation. And so we instead have a like creator tool set where you can put in your own rules. It kind of works. You can, as you download, we're still going to have, because now it is under Creative Commons license, but still we're going to have like D&D at launch available 
the core content, the free content still available at launch alongside also at the very least uh, Pathfinder covered under their, probably under their new Orc license depending on when that gets ratified and pushed out, as well as the capability to play like indie TTRPGs, a lot of like free-to-play stuff. Um, we've been we've been beta testing. So we're available on, for public beta testing now. And internally as a company, um, we've been playing Honey Heist because it's one of the free-to-plays. And it was also the easiest when we, when we first started playing, we did not have character sheets at all. We do now, we have character sheets. Um, and it was a very exciting thing, um, but Honey Heist doesn't really require character sheets. So we started playing that. Um, and so I'm running a, a game of that. But it basically meant as a company, yeah, we had to fully pivot and say, okay, let's prioritize this instead. And um, so now they're, yeah, we're not tied to gotcha. basically. Um, now that you said, I didn't even notice, um, maybe we started this email chain for you to be on the show before you have beta. <laughs> Did you have beta access for a while? Like when did this come out? Uh, so beta start public beta um, did not start that long ago. Um, uh, public beta started this month. Um, okay, okay, okay. We are in full public beta right now. If you go to our website, tabletop.town, um, you can either do tabletop.town slash beta, or there's just a giant button on our website that you can click to join the beta. Um, we're in kind of a release cycle where every other release, it'll be one where it's just like small bug fixes. And the next one is like, this changes everything. Mm -hmm. Um, so we have a major release coming out in the next day or so that, uh, adds the capability that you can talk or you can chat in and out of character. And then, uh, GMs are able or going to be able to like switch between NPCs and talk, decide who they're talking at. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, creator tools are kind of coming soon. Um, full public launches in July, end of July. Um, and then we're also mm -hmm. going to have our marketplace up and running at the same time. Um, we are also adding our premium subscription, which is tabletop town plus, which adds for more functionality. It takes upload limits off or raises upload limits. Um, and then for a while, at least, it's also going to provide early access to some features. So question about mm -hmm. the app itself, um, excuse me, um, this app then is for people who are casual or people who are trying to introduce casuals to a game, because this seems like a quick on-ramp, if I understand this, like what you've yeah. got going correctly. You want to talk about that? Uh, so we are definitely trying to lower the barrier of entry. So. Uh, when I say that it is for remote and asynchronous play, the entire game is contained on your phone and it is designed to be played like a, in the same kind of way you play a like casual or hyper casual mobile game. So five minutes here, five minutes there. It also, if you think about if people have played like play by post games, um, like on forums and like way back in, like there were, there was like a Pokemon RPG in like AIM. And then even like going way, way back of like chess by mail. It's that's like kind of pulling on those traditions, but um, but played through like a text app or like a you right. know text messenger. So campaigns are going to be kind of a little slower. It, like you can play all at the same time. That still works. Um, but they are kind of designed to be played and like spilled out. Uh, and like teased out more slowly. So it is definitely designed for if you're bringing in new players, um, having it, it's in a very like easy to digest and very familiar like UX UI. So you can find things, um, you're not having to sit down, you're not presenting someone with, you know, a hundreds of page pages of like player's handbook um, and being like, read this, it'll all make sense. Um, instead, it's like, 
bits and pieces. Um, but also it is, so it is designed for that. It's also designed to like, let you like pick up new games. Um, and, uh, for like indie game designers to like find an audience and for you to find like new, like indie TTRPGs, that's like where we want to go ultimately. Um, but then it is also, I don't think it's going to, for, for more intense players, um, like I said, I actually run two campaigns a week. Um, I spend a lot of my free time. I spend a lot of my professional and my free time on D&D. Um, I think it's, it, it's not, we're not designing it and we're not saying we're going to replace all gameplay. It is kind of a supplemental of like people who don't have the time for an app, like a weekly hours long commitment, but want to play. Um, we've, we've talked to a bunch of people who played when they were like kids and then can't play as adults. And because life got in the way and your friends are split among time zones and, you know, around the world and you can't pick up a game. And this kind of eliminates that barrier. You're saying, okay, we can play. Um, I don't have to wait for you to be within any type of remote like remotely close to me time zone. Um, it doesn't matter if you go on vacation, like the game doesn't have to stop. We can keep going, we can keep playing. So I, I think it's going to ultimately settle into like new beginners and like hyper casual players and people who are getting into. And then as always the like intense core fan group that comes out in any group of TTRPG players that are like, I want this even more. I want, yeah. I want more ways to play. I want to add this. I want to reconnect with friends who play. Um, we also have a bunch of people who have said like, Oh, I want to play with my kids. And this is the way to play with my kids. Yeah. Which I'm excited for. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, I'm very interested in play-by-post type games. Mm -hmm. I run a few play-by-post type games myself. Um, and then also I know a lot of other pro GMs who do. And the big audience that they have always like kind of uh, ran into for those types of games are, like you said, the power users, the people who mm -hmm. are like, they're playing, they don't have time to play another game, but they want to play another game. So they found a way throughout the week to play um like their third or fourth or whatever game and then also there's people um who are more drawn to uh creative writing that's another subset mm -hmm. that we've uh sort of found in the pro gm community and then also people who play at work um because they work yeah. home. so that's a big subset of the people who play play by post is like uh people who are just you know just kind of messing around uh while they're at work and like they want to take a break or something so they'll take like 20 minutes they'll write up a couple paragraphs about what their character is doing in the scene or what's going on. And then, you know, they get back to work or whatever it is that they're doing. So it's definitely, that's definitely an underserved market, 100%. And what we found um, through Start Playing Games is that uh, there's my, my friend, uh, James, um, who is on disability and he um he was not he's not able he's not been able to work a regular job but through pro gming has found like a regular income and now like caps out at what uh he can accept and still be on disability uh so that he can get health care but um what we found was that there was such a hunger for play-by-post games because mm -hmm. it didn't really exist in the pro gm scene because there was um so many outlets for uh people to sort of do that on uh message boards like you said and i used to play um muds i don't know if you're familiar with those old things multi-user dungeons text-based rpgs okay it's yeah the, the code that everquest was built on was a uh, uh -huh. mud um but yeah it's um i played that actually for like close to 15 years but there is a big hunger for that sort of audience and um i think that is i think that's really exciting because i think um especially because you're app is really clued into like what makes this the most accessible for people 
you're mm-hmm. gonna draw in a ton of casual people like um family members or like siblings um who are you know you have that yeah. one dm who really wants to like introduce the game to people and they're yeah. like you know hey how about we just like i'll just create this you know you're gonna fight i don't know an ogre or a dragon or something and then the family gets together on a holiday or something and then they kind of like strong arm everybody to to download this app and then uh try it out or something like that so i I think in it like work groups and stuff like that i think there's a a really big subset of the market there that's really underserved i can't think of a single vtt that really caters to mobile right now can you Is, is there there None that cater to it. Um, there are a few that have mobile apps um, and that very few of them have full mobile play. I know of one, um, but it is not designed for asynchronous um, and it is still heavy reliant on video chats. Uh, so the I think I, I'm interested to see, I think there are going to be a large subset of our audience that and community that does kind of traditional play by post. Um, so like long paragraphs of text, like you said, it's the creative writing majors. Um, mm-hmm. So they're the like very traditional kind of like big, big things um, that's like all rolling is like off screen, so to speak. Because the big difference for us then is we have like a dice roller built in, we have the character sheets built in, um, and we're going to have like, I mean, because it's system agnostic, you're going to have people who do more like traditional, just like hex based role playing, because there's also, I think we're going to get a big bunch of group of people that just are like text role players that are in not playing any like game but you know um yeah (laughs) all (laughs) of tumblr um but then i think because we have like the actual we're gonna have maps we have like dice we have character sheets i think it's we're gonna have an interesting thing of people who like the idea of play by post but um the the thought of just like narrating everything out like that is intimidating. Um, for me, the problem, the, always the thing I saw about play by post was because I always only saw it played out in forums. And the thought of everyone being able to see that is sometimes intimidating when I'm like, I want to turn off my brain and not have to be super eloquent all the time when mm-hmm. that is my job. So I think then having it as like a a private thing where you can find new games, but the entire world can't see what you're writing is going to be nice. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, and as more and more people go remote, I think definitely it's going to be interesting. I know there was a, there was a mini D and D game that was on Facebook, Facebook games that uh, they, like it was a casual like mini quest game where you went to you basically like in like 20 minutes would send your character out and then they would come back and you'd see what had happened in like in like an hour later Mm -hmm. Um, but they always saw an upswing during like lunch hours Uh and then after the game and i think we're also i think it's gonna be fascinating to see when people play because i think there's gonna be a lot of like bursts throughout the day of like you know i have coffee i'm like going up to get coffee i'm gonna go like fire off i'm gonna swing a sword um, and then I'm going to come back to this. So we're going to have a combat tracker. Um, and so depending on what your game is going to look like, so we have this customizable either like combat is also completely just like, I mean, it, it's always going to be asynchronous, but having it so combat like can spread out over forever. Or if you're like all like, okay, we've got for once we can all kind of get together 
And so the GM can set limits on like how long you have to take your turn. And okay. then if you haven't taken your turn in that amount of time, you take a predetermined action. If right. it's just like, I take the dodge action, I hit the nearest enemy with my sword. So then if one person can't be on their phone, the entire campaign isn't stuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was, yeah. you know, that was actually my next question. But <laughs> you saw, yeah, you, yeah. you, you hit it up. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's honestly, that's, that's my number one concern for play by post. And that has mm -hmm. been a problem for me running play by post as well. It's like, there's that one person who's unavailable, which is fine. They have yeah. a life, but like, you know, at the same time, like you have these three or four people who like want to continue to play. So, yeah. um, that was a concern um, for play by post for me. Side, side note that not in play by post, but in my normal campaign, something I built in for kind of not the secondary campaign, but the secondary campaign I'm running, I'd never done this before as GM and I'm now going to do it all the time is I, when people were building their characters in their backstory, I made them give me a reason their character might be absent at the drop of a hat. And I was like, yeah, like give me some background excuse that you have to go take care of. You don't have to tell the rest of the party, but come up with it. And uh, so it means that if someone can't make it, we've just explained it away in character and they're just gone. And yeah. as long as we have like at least two of the players, the game keeps going. Cause this is for all of us just like, our like fun campaign and mm -hmm. so i think then we're also going to see that more in like asynchronous stuff it's just like sudden excused you're like yep you're you're not there for whatever reason like it became a running joke like the goblin rogue that in our campaign he, the he had to be gone a lot he um his wife had just had a newborn and so right. you know life got in the way um, yeah. But every time he left, his character left behind their pants. <laughs> and so it just became like a running joke in campaign. And he's been gone for a while because newborn. And they're just like, is he going to come back? Well, he has to. We have his pants. So yeah. like. <laughs> yeah. Got to come back yeah. to the pants. That's funny. Exactly. Um, yeah. That's that's actually brilliant. I've never heard that suggestion before. So I'm going to attribute it to you, Kelly. You're going to thank you credit for that one. Um, I genuinely didn't hear that anywhere either, as far as I know. Uh-huh. <laughs> And it's right. my it's my favorite thing I've ever come up with as a GM, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, million dollar <laughs> idea. What what's it like um, for uh, you as the CEO now? Like, what's your schedule mm -hmm. like? Um, is it mostly meetings? And then yeah, I know you said <laughs> you get like you know your your block of time in which you're doing a lot of drafting. Uh -huh. But yeah, uh, talk us through that. So uh, I am distinctly not a morning person. Um, I think, I mean, we, we started in the morning, um, and this is about the earliest I, I will do anything a lot of times. I mean, I was the kid in college, my last semester of college, my earliest class was noon and that was only once a week. The rest of the time it was 2 PM. Um, um like, and I did that on purpose. <laughs> Um, yeah. and I kept waiting for myself to like grow out of it and I never did. Um, so I think most days, so I have meetings like internal meetings. I have about five a week, um, in four days and there's, I, where I, I schedule like a, they're, they take place over three days and I have about five internal, like regular guaranteed meetings. Then a lot of my day is. So my primary job too, really, um, but as CEO, like my primary job is investment, um, looking out, going to find investors, um, talking with investors, managing existing in re investor relationships, and also existing advisor relationships. It's a lot of relationship management and re relationship development. Um, on kind of a day-to-day -day basis, what that looks like for me is a lot of answering emails um, and a lot of scheduling 
meetings and then going to meetings and then following up for meetings with an email. And then also a lot of like applications to uh, angel funds. So looking for uh, like different in in terms of like, are we going traditional DC development? Then it's going to be like angel funds. Um, We're also looking at potentially like video game publishers and so what that would look like um and dealing with that um like seeking those relationships out and doing that as ceo also part of what i do is being the face of the company um and so that's kind of ramping up now i think that's going to become a larger part of my job so that includes things like being on this podcast um, right. and, and talking to people and, um, I'm on the socials, not a ton. That's mainly our community manager and she has like more chaotic side of it. Um, I've done a couple of like TikToks and reels and you can always tell when it's me because it's a like very different style. Um, I did like the Wes Anderson one because mm-hmm. it's listeners can't see it, but, um, my bookshelf behind me looks like it's from a Wes Anderson set. Um, that's just the way my life looks like, or this part of my life does. And so, Mm -hmm. um, and then my second big part of that is, uh, I'm still the head writer. And so I, everything that goes out, I at least edited. Um, so that's all of the socials, but then also it's drafting like applications, but also then drafting formal emails, drafting newsletters, drafting, or like writing newsletters and um, blog posts and um, actual in-app copy um, and long stuff like that. And that's what I tend to do really late at night. That tends to be a lot of my sit down on the couch. Okay, now it's time to write um, and, you know, just draft out pages and pages and pages of content. Um, Because also we're going to be having like available for download in the app um potentially on the marketplace well it will be in the marketplace um there's going to be like tabletop town branded content that is a bunch of stuff available for your ttrpgs to play and to use whether that's npcs all the way up to like mini arcs and like settings and locations all the way up to full and i'm at least for right now i'm writing all of them so it's also all of that copy (laughs) yeah i gotcha yeah that's that's a lot of shit that's a lot of stuff. Um, it's a setup. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, you get um, instead of getting paid a lot, you just get paid in a, a lot of a lot of different job titles. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, okay, that's cool. Um, that's really interesting. Is that is that sort of the business model for Tabletop Town? Then it's like um, you are going to the marketplace to buy things you can play for free. But if you want additional stuff as either the GM or as a player, you go to the marketplace? Yes. So it is completely free to play. There are no ads, period, inside the app. Um, There is a premium subscription, Tabletop Town Plus, which is going to kind of raise the upload limits for images and um, allow to play as like, like raise the character limits, um, not typing characters, but like playable, like PCs and NPCs and stuff like that. Um, and then also right now, Tabletop Town Plus is going to give early access to some features um, as they are still in development. Um, and then also there is in-app subscription, so an in-app marketplace. Um, this is kind of the very traditional mobile game model these days is the premium subscription supplemented by in-app marketplace. So the marketplace is going to include things, like I said, like characters, um, settings, campaigns, everything like that. It is also going to include a bunch of art. So um, NPC tokens, monster tokens, eventually it's going to have map tiles, um, stuff like that. And so we are like working with a bunch of indie artists right now to get their stuff on the app available 
um, for content. And then there's going to be full game systems available in the app. So like I said, we're launching with free to play for like some core rule sets, but like any other model for TTRPGs, you know, if you want the expansion books, if you want the special stuff, if you want the different classes, that's available for purchase. Um, Got it. And so looking, and then also we're working with um, some indie game designers uh, to have their rule sets and full game designs on the app. Um, if not at launch, then like soon after. So hopefully to be, you'll be able to find indie game designers. There's no coding like knowledge needed whatsoever. It is very intuitive to put your rule set on the app. So um, encouraging uh, game designers to come and build their content on our platform. Um, and I think we're going to get some really interesting TTRPG rule sets because you're not constrained by physical limitations. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there have been some really fun ones out lately. I'm thinking of the um, the Django one, Starcross Lovers. Um, I like I have it. I own that. I thought it was right next to me, but it's not. Well, that's <laughs> at my girlfriend's house. We just played it this weekend. <laughs> yeah. And so like, I, I love the idea then, but that idea of like, it doesn't have to be dice um, to be a TTRPG. And I think if it's all in an app anyway, I think we're going to get some really wild and interesting like types potentially of TTRPGs and what that could look like if you're not constrained by physical equipment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that also opens up for card-based games too. There's a lot more yes. card-based games coming out. I've noticed uh, for TTRPG and maybe that was just like a board game thing for a while, but now um, there are more and more people interested, I think in card games in general, as people get, yeah. I think, I think it's some of the, and of course, no comment from the uh, CEO of a different company, but um, I think it's like the the sort of bleed off of like magic players who are like, you know what, I can't afford this anymore. <laughs> Go somewhere else. Um, so there's just more people designing card games, I think, in this space now because of that part, partially because of that and other reasons. But, um, you know, I at least that was my reason. Um, mm-hmm. I did magic, I think, solidly for a year and a half. And then I was like, I looked at how much I had spent and I was just like, oh, uh, but <laughs> It, it it still remains uh, uh, I think a um, solid fact that like tabletop role playing games are probably the best money spent to fun had ratio that you can have um, because you buy the game system book and like maybe one or two other books and that's one hundred maybe $200 if you buy some additional stuff, then that's all you really need to play for years, potentially. So um, I think a lot of people look at, perhaps they have the wrong attitude and you don't have to say anything about this, but this is just me like sort of going off on a tangent. But like a lot of people sort of, uh, we just had this big conversation on uh, Twitter about because Watsy just increased their prices to $60 for books. Um, I went through and I wrote a thread. It's like, how, <clears throat> this is how much it actually cost me to print a book as an Indian. Like for a big company that owns, now it's like I think 70 or 75%. They took a big hit after OGL um, and a lot of the other uh, second, secondary and third party publishers um, saw a huge increase in their business. I know for a while, Paizo uh, actually sold out of their books for months at a time. But- so did Chaosium. Yeah, and uh, sold out. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, Cobalt Press quadrupled their sales for like a month or two. Um, but yeah, so um, a lot of these uh, consumers look at uh, these book prices and they're like, "Hey, anything more than fifty dollars is like way too much for a book, or like anything more than like twenty or thirty dollars for a PDF is too much." And I'm just thinking to myself, like, "Yeah, but like, how many sets of dice do you own? Like, how many, <laughs> like?" How many books are on your shelf right now? Like you could you could buy one less book a year and then afford all the other books that you bought. 
Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me why, anyway, like, people, consumers are consumers. They're always going to complain about prices going up, even with inflation, because they feel like they're still entitled to the um, the creative work of others for a number of reasons um, that I could go into a, a big, long-winded discussion on. But, yeah, I, I like the... Um, I like the model for Tabletop Town. It's an easy monthly wanna, subscription. What's up? Yeah. No, I do want to bring up an interesting thing, getting into like how it looks as a consumer, because I don't think anyone, like people, I didn't know this before we started building this app. So we are going to have a token-based marketplace system. So you see this in tons and tons of mobile apps, you know, buy a bag of tokens and then that use those tokens to buy things in the app. It always felt weird to me as a consumer doing that. I was like, why can't I just like pay the money? It's because of app regulations. And I didn't know that. Um, You can't in, if you're like, if your product is on an app or like on an app marketplace, you can't charge people for in-app content with just money. You have to go through a like token-based system. Yeah. Um, why? Just, uh, if you want to be on the major app platforms, you have to do that. I don't know why, but you have to do that. So you can't just charge, you know, you can't just be like, okay, this book is like $15. Right. It has to be like, okay, this book is $15. Therefore it's going to be like 1500 tokens. That is uh, not us trying to like be shady about how much things cost. That is right. making sure that our app is available to download. Right. Um, that's, yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess they, is that a casino thing then? Like, is that something, some like, is that like, is that because I, of casinos? I don't know. Like, why would people do why I, is that? A law? I have no, I have no idea. It's not a law. It is app store policy. Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. Um, but because it's, you know, if you want it to be on the platform, you have to play nice. Um, so that is why we are having a token-based system um, in the like in talking in the realm of like you know what it looks like as a consumer and like we ha- we talk about that on our website like we are very upfront and clear mm-hmm. about like this is why we're doing it but um, that you have to go looking for that information and so I figured I would use this right. to, to be like that's just because that's what we have to do um, right. also just in the thing of um, the amount of dice people own because God knows I have so many dice um, they are deadly. Um, we do one of the things that is going to also be available are dice skins, of course, because you have to customize those dice skins. People have to know if it's you rolling. Yeah. Yeah. They have to see your dice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they have to be themed to your character or is that yeah. just me? No, I think, um, I have, no, I do. Yeah. I, yeah, I, have I do have special the, dice. Yeah. I have a set of the critical role, like D20s, uh-huh. one for each character. And I definitely roll those uh, depending on what check I'm making. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's like I personalize them. Yeah, very yeah. much because I do that. Superstition. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Superstition. Exactly. Well, I like, so I also, um, when I was able to play regularly, um, I played a College of Eloquence Bard and uh, talk about a broken class because I was level five and could not roll below a 20 on Persuasion or Deception. Rolled right. an at yeah. 21 times, so I rolled a 30 at level five. Um, and so suddenly we had some very friendly NPCs helping us out. Um, but, uh, that idea then of, yeah, just like the rolling dice, um, I think for a big, genuinely not insignificant part of the community, it's like just so satisfying to something like it is to me as well, just like rolling dice. And so we spent a lot of time on our dice roller. So it bounces satisfyingly and we can have dice skins and, and everything like that. Um, yeah, I think most that's where most people's money like tends to go because those t- sort of purchases tend to be 
just affordable enough to where people mm-hmm. don't blink twice at spending the money. Like 10 yeah. bucks for dice or like 15, 20 bucks for dice. Most people don't think about that. Um, it's when you go beyond that $20 that people start to um, really scrutinize, I think. Let's see if there's a, a shift in that. Um, cool. That's finally... I wanted to talk about um, sort of your roadmap, if you can, for Tabletop Town. And um, I wanted to talk about like, what does 2023 look like for you? And what does 2024 look like? Yeah, um, so I can definitely talk about this. Also, if people are interested, we do have a Discord as well. It is currently mainly being used for beta feedback, but there is a uh, full section on there for a feature roadmap and like what's going to uh, come out when um, and though I'm actually pulling it up right now to make mm-hmm. it easier for myself so I don't have to remember this off the top of my head. So all of these kind of will will change um, and uh, kind of what it looks like. So we are in public beta right now with full launch coming in July of this year. So first thing up is going to be actually is going to be creator tools. Um, which is the like game creator tools through an entire like new web portal. So that is going to allow people then to put on rule sets to like have their own content at their much more easily instead of doing it like piecemeal. It's going to be a portal to do all of that at once. That also then opens us up to true system agnostic capabilities where the rules are included in the app itself. Um, and all of the templates for character sheets are included in the app. Um, so that is coming as well as uh, next up is our Tabletop Town Marketplace, which we've talked, spent a lot of time talking about. That Those are both coming by July. Uh, so that those will, in some form, if not with full capabilities, those will, those will be available at launch. Kind of immediately after that, we're going to have uh, Tabletop Town Plus is going to come on basically at the same time. That's our premium subscription. Um, we're going to add... Uh, turn tracking at the by the end of this year, so kind of Q4 of 2023, um, which will enable kind of initiative and um, letting GM manage like multiple monsters in combat. And then you also will get push notifications if it's your turn in combat. Oh, um, perfect. Yeah. And then you can like prepare actions, delay your turn or take like do like other things. Um, also coming at the end of this year, we really wanted to like push this as early as we could are built-in safety systems. So these are based on the TTRPG safety toolkit, um, specifically the X card or, and the uh, lines and veils system. So um, especially since we are opening and hoping to be a place where you can meet new like players, join new games and play games with like new people. We wanted to make sure that we had systems and rules in place, not just for like, you know, the traditional of like kicking people from the, the platform if needed and banning people but also just in-app being like okay this is like you know this far no farther um so lines and bales in place to be in hand beforehand and then also enabling gms to do check-ins with players or players to just anonymously drop a card in the game to be like this far no farther using that x card system um and then also uh bookmarks so you can bookmark content so gms can like have content easily available and referenced uh, but then also you can like bookline one-liners or bookmark like one-liners and stuff like that. Um, and then, uh, so that is all for this year. That's everything we have planned. Um, looking at the 2024, um, a bunch of stuff is getting upgrades, um, like camping management, stuff like that. Also, we are bringing our tutorials fully online next year. We're going to have playable tutorials for both the app and the games, teaching people how to play. Um, I'm pretty proud of them. I wrote them. 
Um, and then also our map system fully comes online next year. Um, which are going to be uh, not just basic maps. Um, we're actually partnering with an external agency. They're going to be fully interactive. And as a GM, you can draw your maps and fill them and um, place stickers on and have proximity-based things. It's going to be distance tracking. It can be as much or as little as you want, basically, as it, um, things are going to be layered. Uh, you can also just import maps. Um, also coming in 2024 is uh, full sound design. Um, we're, we're partnering with a... Um, audio design agency. And so we're going to have distinctive sound design. And then kind of as we figure out what that is going to look like, other than just we're going to have our own sound design, more of that's coming uh, information on the discord and stuff. And then um, as we build out kind of looking either even farther ahead, um, we're going to be introducing um, cards, tokens, spinners, all sorts of different mechanics and stuff like that that is as far out and as vague and as different as i can get <laughs> right gotcha that sounds really um i'm very interested in the uh drawing a battle map and then utilizing some of your tools to do it in real time that's something that i sometimes do because out of necessity as a pro gm however um yeah. it would be nice to have a tool that actually helped you do that just real quick um yeah. so i wonder if so that's gonna... i i have very little artistic talent when it comes to that i can um like forge people's handwriting but i can't actually draw anything so as a gm it's kind of difficult i have to plan everything in advance um if you actually if you go to our website so tabletop.town if you go to just the like about section or if you just scroll the way down there's like a feature list and if you click on the maps you can see kind of what that's going to look like and you can kind of see like what our maps are going to look like we are also going to have on the marketplace like map tiles so this is just the like built in what our app just looks like. So the kind of comes with it, um, like visual style. Um, but then uh, there's going to be like entirely different other art styles. Um, we also just were trying to design something that wasn't only high fantasy. Um, we're basically the entire app and all tutorials that are going to come out are skinned three different ways, which is uh, fantasy, Western and sci-fi, because we want to really lean into the fact that TTRPGs aren't necessarily just high fantasy um and so you can see that sometimes with some of our stuff also on maps uh you can when you place objects or like stickers on the map you can associate um objects or roles or stuff with them so it's up to you as a gm if you want to prepare in advance if you want to have a highly interactive map um if that's like the fun part of gming for you you can go crazy we have some very impressive tools. We're going to have some pretty wild stuff. If you're like, they just need somewhere to see what they're doing. You can just like draw it out and be like tree, tree here, wall here, building here. Great, go. Um, so it's entirely up to you and your players, because I know my players are super, super tactical. And so I always need very detailed maps because otherwise they spend the entire session being like, okay, so this spell has a range of 60 feet, but the spell itself has a diameter of 30 feet. If I put it here, are they behind the wall here? Can I see this player? And so I just need interactive maps or else my entire time is just telling them what they can and cannot see. Yeah, 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 for <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how my fights <laughs> go as well for whatever game that I'm playing. Uh, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I really like, um, and for those of us, the, the link will be in the description as far as uh, getting mm -hmm. to the feature list. Uh, I'm going to put that as our link here just so that people can see sort of the the demos, the uh, small, the gifts that they have of the demos of how the, the system is meant to function, you know? later this year uh people will have access to it i think we're gonna wrap kelly let's let's talk about do you have anything 
that you wanted to that you were sharing or uh, saving, I should say, that you wanted to share? Ooh. Um, um, is there any one thing? Oh, I really wish there was now. Um, <laughs> I think I've kind of talked about everything. And the thing I always like to talk about, because I think it's the prettiest on our website, is the map system. But we already mm-hmm. have that. Um, I, I guess it's not, uh, this isn't like something we're like hard pushing on any of our socials, but uh, I think it's kind of fun and different. Um, uh, we actually have a uh, merch section on our website. Um, and, uh, it has specifically some very funny, uh, stuff on it. And potentially my favorite is a poster that is very much a la, and also a shirt, all like nineties advertising, which is installed tabletop town on your family computer. Um, if you go in and actually read it, it's very, very funny. Um, we've kind of hidden stuff like that all around. Um, but I think, no, I think the biggest thing is just public beta is now and um, beta feedback is set up in our Discord. And we're excited to launch in, you know, just over, well, when this comes out, probably in about a month or so. It'll be um, Great. in July. So, yeah. Yeah. What, um, do you have a date specifically or are you just like not married we, to a date right now? We don't have a date um, because okay. if we do, it'll probably move. Um, it's uh-huh. going to be the back half of July. Um, okay, when okay, I okay. have a more specific date, that'll go up everywhere. But okay, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right then. Well, thank you so much, uh, Kelly. And I'm gonna hit the stop button now.